I'm, I feel a bit spoiled, uh, actually. Um, don't you? I don't know whether you do. I just feel with what God's been bringing to us already this morning, I feel a bit spoiled, really. The invitation that we've all received just to come to his table that's loaded with good stuff for us. So I hope you're ready for that. Are you, are you ready? Uh, we're going to respond at the end, I hope. But let's, why don't we be responding now? I hope you're responding now. You know, we've had an invitation to come and feast at God's table this morning. And uh, that's an open invitation to anyone. So I hope, you're, I hope your juices are flowing and I hope you're ready to sit at his table. Um, Rob's just asked me to mention before I get started, uh, just to remind people there is a members meeting tonight here at 7 o'clock. Okay. That's not as good an invitation as the one we got earlier from God. I, got to, I mean, to be honest, you know, but there you go. I've got to say it. <laughs> we are, uh, if you don't know, in the middle of a series called Reflections of Splendor. There it is. Where we're, be, we're looking at the wonder of who God is, the wonder of God as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but in the light of how we are called to be reflectors of who he is. So it's not just that we're looking at how wonderful he is. It's the incredible miracle that we are called to be reflectors of who God is. And I must admit, I was listening to Steve last week. If you haven't heard it, go online and listen to it. It was great talking about God the Father. And I kept, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, he's pinching all my stuff. What am I going to say next week? He's, he's pinching a lot of it. And then as I reflected on it, I thought, well, actually, I suppose if God is three but one and one but three, there's bound to be a fair bit of overlap, really, isn't what I'm going to say, isn't there? Because God is one, yet three. So I don't know if you followed that, but it made me feel a bit better. So this week, we're thinking about the sun. And that's, if in case you didn't know, that's Jesus. We'll get you up to speed quickly. And uh, we're looking at Jesus and how our lives can be reflections of him. You know, the disciples were with Jesus for something like three years. And their journey in, uh, in that relationship with Jesus kind of went from a sort of a question like, could this be the hope of Israel? Through some diversions like, wow, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him, right up to Peter's confession where he says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. That was their journey to coming to realize who Jesus is. And, and many of us follow similar journeys as we, as we make our way in faith. And writing with the benefit of hindsight, John begins his book, the Gospel of John in chapter 1, with a, a if you like, a revelation, a deep insight into who Jesus is. And that's where I want to start this morning. Uh, he refers to Jesus as the Word. So where you see the Word, he's talking about Jesus. And this is, having known Jesus, this is what he tells us about him. Some selected verses from John 1. In the beginning, the Word, that's Jesus, already existed. The Word, Jesus, was with God. And the Word, Jesus, was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, 
And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. John is setting out very clearly that Jesus the Word is God. He is God. He is eternal. He existed before anything was. He is the creator. Nothing was made without him. He is the life giver. He is the light bringer. He is the unputoutable life and light of God. This is who Jesus is. This is who we've been worshipping this morning. John continues. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word Jesus became human, made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Jesus became human, like us, just like us, fully God, fully man. So Jesus was not sort of a 50-50 alloy, part human, part man. The Bible teaches us that he was fully God, 100% God, and 100% man. Now, if you're a mathematician, get with it. I can't work it out. That's why it's called the miracle of the incarnation. Fully God, fully man, son of God, son of man. This is Jesus. John continues. There's more. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. That's what we've been singing about this morning. For the law was given through Moses... But God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. He came, became like us, and he came in grace. He came in grace, and he showed us what love is really, really like. This is Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't know really what God looked like. He showed us the Father. Jesus is God's great, great visual aid. He is. Whichever way you look at him, he is what God is like. If you are here this morning, you're seeking God, and you want to know what God is like, I'm telling you, you look at Jesus, whichever way you look at him, whatever situation is he is in, whatever he is doing, that is what God is like. That's who Jesus is, like a diamond in many sense. He has many, many facets. He is all we've just read there, and more besides. John just gave us a brief overview that sets Jesus in the place he really deserves for who he really is. But he's more than that. Tim Keller, in his marvelous book, The Prodigal God, 
adds what I think is a wonderful biblical insight onto the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told and that Steve talked about last week. Many of you will know it, but um, just in case you don't, let me remind you of the gist of the story. The story is about a father who has two sons. I think he's quite well off. He has one son who's a bit of a, bit of a, bit of a lad, and he has another, that's his young son, and he has an older son who's a bit of a creep. So his, his older son is just the guy who does all, that it's, everything his father asks, he does. You know, that's a recipe for brotherly harmony, isn't it? The older son is very dutiful. He does everything he's supposed to do. The younger son is champing at the bit. And in the end, he gets the better of him. And he says to his father, I've had enough of this. What I really want is for you to give me my inheritance now. And I want to get away from here. And his father, who must have had a heavy heart, did what the son asked. Gave him his part of the inheritance. And he goes as far away from home as he can get. And he has a whale of a time. Spends his money, wine, women, and song He is having the time of his life until the money runs out. And when the money runs out, the good times stop, the friends disappear, and life gets tough. And he ends up keeping pigs and being hungry. And one day he's sat there and he suddenly has a moment and he thinks, do you know what? Even the servants back home are living a better life than I am. I tell you what, I'm going to go back to my father and say, I'm coming home. I don't mind being a servant. I'll come. And he heads home. His father is looking out for him, sees him. You know the story. Runs to meet him. Welcomes him back, not as a servant, but as a son. Big brother gets grumpier than ever when he hears about the party. As for the fatty calf, we'll gloss over that. Think about it. You do know what happened to the fatted calf, don't you? You don't. The fatted calf was the party. (laughs) The beef burgers have to come from somewhere. Anyway, that went well. (laughs) What Tim Keller points out is uh, is this, really. (laughs) That in that chapter, Luke 15, there are three stories. You might know them all, actually. There's the parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd who has 99, uh, sorry, who has 100 sheep. He's got 99, loses one. Leaves the 99, goes looking for the one. He tells the parable of the lost coin. The woman who has 10 coins, but she's lost one. And she spends ages looking for the one that was lost. And then you've got the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. The interesting contrast is nobody goes looking for him. Have you noticed that? Keller points it out. It's an interesting contrast that he thinks Luke is, is pushing us to. Why did nobody go and look for the lost son who was surely worth more than the sheep or the coin? Keller points out that what the younger brother really needed was an older brother who would actually say to his father, not I'll do whatever you say, but say to his father, Father, I'll leave home. Father, I'll go and find my brother. Father, I will dig him out wherever he is. I'll get him out of whatever trouble he's in. I'll pay whatever he owes out of my own pocket, and I'll bring him home to you so that we can be together. What he needed 
was a true older brother. And in some ways, you know, we are all like the young brother. We've all gone astray. We've all gone perhaps far from home. Maybe you're there this morning, far from God and wondering how to get back. And what we all need is a true older brother. And that true older brother is Jesus. It's Jesus who says to his father, Father, I'll, I'll leave home. I'll leave my place with you in heaven. Father, I'll go and I'll find him. Father, I will get him, dig him out of all the trouble that he's in. Father, I'll pay all that he owes out of my own, at my own cost so that I can bring him home to be with you again. Jesus is the true older brother that is missing from the story. Jesus is the true older brother that we all need to find our way back to God. If you think it's odd to view Jesus as your older brother, let me just reassure you, it is very biblical. I'm going to read you two scriptures. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says this, Both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's us, are of the same family. So, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. What do you let that sink in? Can you hear that this morning? Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. That's a profound truth. That's a life-changing truth. You know how good it is for us to speak out the truth, don't you? I'll tell you what then, just for a minute, pretend you're not British. And if you're not, I'm sorry about that, but carry on anyway. Why don't we speak that truth out? I want you to say with me, Jesus, here we go, I'll tell you what to say. Jesus, you're not ashamed of me. And I want you to feel what that does to you this morning. Are you ready? Here we go. Jesus, you're not ashamed of me. Let's say it again. Jesus, you're not ashamed of me. That's a wonderful truth God wants to write in our hearts this morning. He's not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed of us. Romans 8 verse 29 says this, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, to be conformed to the image of his son in some versions, so that his son would be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. There it is again. We are born into God's family and brothers and sisters of Jesus. How amazing. How amazing. And how does that happen then? How do we become like Jesus? How do we, uh, as Paul says, be imitators of me even as I am of Christ? How do we do that? Well, we imitate our older brother. It's quite often the case in a family, isn't it? People look up to their older brother and we are to imitate him. There's a quote, uh, if we could have it, Jack Frost in his book, Spiritual Slavery to Sonship, says this, the goal of our Christian life is to become like Jesus. Now, just pause here for a minute. When the first time I read this, I thought, that's not right. 
So if you feel like that, that's okay. We'll read it again. The goal of our Christian life is to become like Jesus, but we don't become like Jesus by focusing our lives on Jesus. We become like Jesus by focusing our lives on what Jesus focused his life on. And Jesus focused his life on being a son and revealing the Father and his love so that a world of spiritual orphans could become sons and daughters. Isn't that magnificent? Jesus focused his life on being a son and revealing the Father and his love so that a world of spiritual orphans could become sons and daughters. I think that's a beautiful description of what Jesus did and what we are called to do. Simple really, isn't it? And yet sometimes we can make it very complicated. We are called to be sons and daughters, to reveal the Father's heart and love so that the world we live in, where there are so many spiritual orphans, can become sons and daughters too. And I'd like to suggest to you three things, three ways in which we can do that. The first is identity. Now, I'm sort of almost embarrassed to bring this up because we often talk about it, but I'm not embarrassed to talk about it because we can't talk about it enough. This is so important for us, my friends, so important. We need to get this into our hearts and we need to keep on going again and again until it really is deep in our hearts. Because Jesus' life, sort of, he knew his identity right the way through, from beginning to end. His life started, he was announced. It was quite clear from what the angels said and there were prophetic words, it was clear who he was. It was confirmed by God on more than one occasion, like at his baptism, where God says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. What an affirmation of his identity. When the devil tempted him, what did he start his questions with? If you are the Son of God, if you are, if you are. And Jesus came back rock solid, his identity was not based on his feelings, whether he was hungry, thirsty, it was based rock solid on the word of God. But there's the question from the enemy, if you are the son of God. Right at the end of Jesus' life, he was clear too. John tells us in chapter 13 that at the Passover meal, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, that he was returning to God, So he got up and he washed the disciples' feet. He could do that because he knew who he was, where he was from, where he was going. Jesus' identity was clear. He knew who he was. He knew who the Father was. Jesus knew what the greatest commandment was. When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The the great commandment is a call to relationship. It's a call to love. Love God. Love your neighbor. That's the great commandment. You know, sometimes we struggle with, with the whole area of sin. I tell you what, that's the one I break most of all. 
That's the one I break most of all, that I have not loved God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. I don't really need to read on much further. I need grace, because <laughs> I fell at number one. I don't know about you. Jesus knew what the great commandment was. He demonstrated what it was like. He loved God with all his being, and he loved his neighbor. He walked it out. And Jesus also knew, because he gave it to us, the Great Commission. We all know the Great Commission. We're well trained, aren't we? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them, etc., etc. You know, sometimes in our personal life, sometimes in our church lives, we mix up the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. God never intended us to do the Great Commission first. He always intends us to get our priorities straight. The most important is the great commandment. If we're doing the great commandment, if we're loving God with all we have, loving our neighbor as ourselves, the great commission just bolts on. Try and do it the other way around. You run out very quickly. It's not always the Father's love that we convey when we do things that way around. Jesus models to us that we are first and foremost sons of God. That's it. That's all we'll ever be. It's good enough though. And he, out of that, shows the love of the father to the orphans of this world. The older brother in the story of the prodigal son is basically religious. His relationship with his father is based on doing what he's supposed to do. And actually all it breeds is bitterness and disappointment and he has no real love relationship with his father. It breeds hatred of the other, his brother who's just wayward. He dismisses him out of hand. He despises the young sinful son. You know, I'd say to you this morning, if you're looking in and seeking for faith, don't be put off by older brothers that you might meet. Don't be put off by people who are religious, whose relationship with God depends on them doing the right stuff. You need to look for those who know the grace of God in our lives. There's plenty around here. Knowing God as Father, which Steve talked about last week, is one side of the coin. Knowing that you're a son is the other. They're connected, but they're different. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, do you know Above anything else, when everything else falls away, do you know this morning that you are a son or a daughter of God? Do you? Do you really know it? Does it sink down deep into your heart? Does it set you free? Because it's a freeing thing. Freeing from performance. Freeing from the I must. Freeing from the crippling demands of the law which we can't fulfill. Do you really know you're a son or daughter of God? Are you a bit like the older brother? Got to do this, going to keep in with God. Need to do that if I'm going to have my relationship right. We want to be like the younger brother in his relationship. You see, Jesus had a relationship with the father by right, he's the father's son. Can't argue with that. But remember what John said? To all who believe and accepted him, he gave the right. He gave the right to become children of God. 
So he's a son by right, and so are we. So are we, because he's given us that right. It's ours to possess. Our identity is so important, and it's of the first importance, because it's what God has done for us. Second thing, I have called attention, or focus, you might say. Our older brother, Jesus, he was always paying attention to what his father was doing. Have you noticed that? When you read through the Gospels, he was always looking for what his father was doing. You know, Jesus healed a paralyzed man once and was questioned about it by the religious people because they didn't think it was right because he hadn't done it in the right way or at the right time. And in John 15, uh, sorry, John 5, 19 and 20, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself or on his own initiative. He only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything that he's doing. Isn't that a lovely, simple relationship? Well, I only do what I see my father doing. That's what Jesus said. In John 8, 28, he says this, I do nothing on my own, but I only say what the father taught me. Now he's only speaking what he gets from the father. And John 5, verse 30, he says again, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me, therefore my judgment is just, because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Jesus was constantly on the lookout for the Father's agenda. I wonder, I wonder if you wonder like I do, where is the focus of my life attention? What is it I'm zooming in on most of the time? Are my spiritual ears and eyes open? Am I looking for the Father? Am I pointing to Him? I'm, I'm trying to cultivate more of this in my life. I want to cultivate it more. I want to learn. I know I'm getting old, but I want to still want to learn. I want to hear His voice better. I want to see what He's doing better. I want to listen for that quiet voice of the Spirit and actually prepare to do something Do you know, I I think I often hear God more often than I think, but I just dismiss it. And actually, I think we need not to dismiss it. I think we need to do it. Make that call. If God puts someone on your heart, visit that person. If he puts them on your heart, pray that prayer that he puts on your heart. Share that encouragement with whoever he puts on your heart. Share that prophetic word with whoever he gives it for. You know, I was provoked by our own Ange here recently, last, last week actually, don't worry. Uh, and uh, she was chatting, I was chatting to a couple of students who were here, and uh, I went to get someone to introduce to them, and when I came back, they were deep in conversation and prayer. And this is what Ange said to me, she said, well, I was, just wanted to say hello to them and welcome them, and I was just asking God for something for them. And I thought, oh, why didn't I think of that? Because <laughs> the answer was I didn't. And now I was, I was, I hope, I don't know if they're here this morning, I was given a great welcome. I was really friendly. I'm really, you know, I was in it, in the zone. 
interested, friendly, listening, and whatever. But, and we want to do that. But actually, maybe there's something more. Maybe you could listen for something that God wants to share with them. Maybe they need an encouraging word. And I don't mean you have to get all weird about, weird about it. You, know? you don't have to, oh, thus says the Lord or whatever. You might just inquire as to what, what you're hearing, as to whether there's a need or something. I was provoked by that. I was provoked by somebody else who said to me, when I come into the meeting like this and I'm on my own, I just ask the Father, who do you want me to sit next to? Oh, why didn't I think of that? There you go. Are we open? Are we asking? When I get into situations, am I actually asking, Father, what are you doing in this situation? Or am I judging it by my own understanding? You know, we can get it way wrong when we try and do that. We look at stuff that's going on and we think we know what the answer is. I'm discovering I'd be much better to just pause a minute and say, Father, what are you doing here? What are you wanting to say? What are you wanting to do? Jesus' attention was on his Father. And thirdly, lastly, obedience. Jesus said, I've come to do the will of him who sent me. He was obedient. I don't know if you, did you jump when the whistle went over here earlier on? It's a bit distracting, wasn't it? <laughs> well, thankfully, God doesn't deal with us like that. It's much more like that. It's much more hold my hand and come with me. But the point is made that God is calling us to obedience. God is calling us to walk the way he walked. Even as a boy, if you remember, Jesus got separated from his parents once coming back from Jerusalem. And they went on ahead and suddenly discovered he wasn't with the the family group and they went to look for him. And when they found him, this is Luke 2 verse 49, he said to them, why were you looking for me? Duh, because we'd lost you. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house and about my father's business? This is the boy, Jesus. See, already his attention. What am I doing here? I'm in the father's house. I'm about my father's business. What a great sense of attention he had. In Gethsemane, you'll know it well. Jesus cries out, Father. See, relationships there. Father, if you're willing, please make this cup of suffering pass from me yet. I want your will to be done, not mine. Obedience. Ephesians 5, one encourages us. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. There it is again. 1 John 2, verse 6 says this. Those who live in God, those who say they live in God, should live their lives as Jesus did. Just following his example. Let me give you a Bible example of what that looks like. Jesus was talking about his father and he says, you know, it's my father that actually makes the sunshine on nice people and nasty people. You know, he gives good things whether people deserve it or not because that's what he's like. We've heard it this morning. He's extravagant. He's extravagant. He gives things to people I think don't deserve it. Do you find that? If we're honest, 
God moves through people with theologies wrong. Oh, dear. Those of us who are right are quite upset by that, aren't we? You know? God, God gives grace to people because that's what he's like. And actually, God have mercy on me. That's what he's done for me. That's what he's done for me. So Jesus says to this, love your enemies. There's a command. Why? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. See? Chip off the old block. Love your enemies because that's what God does. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Be generous. Be kind. Be gracious. Why? Because that's what God's like. And that's what he's been like with us. We're to be an obedient people. We're to have our attention on God. Sorry, we're to get our identity clear. We're to have our attention on God. And we're called to obedient following. I just want to take up that quote uh, again on the next slide, please, if I could. This is the same quote I read earlier. just want to read it again to you. just want to ask the Holy Spirit just to come and speak to our hearts as we, as we read this. I believe God wants to touch our hearts today. And, you know, the invitation we've had, Rob is right, it's for anyone. Maybe you don't know God this morning, but I don't care if you've known him for 30 years or 40 years or whatever. You know, we all need to have our hearts refreshed in who we are in God. I believe he wants to do that among us this morning. I believe he wants to lift some weights off people, some weights of the older son, some weights of things you feel you have to do to get God on your side. God wants you to know the freedom of the sons of God. I believe he wants to speak into our hearts. Let me read this again for you. The goal of our Christian life is to become like Jesus. Amen. We don't become like Jesus by focusing our lives on Jesus. We become like Jesus by focusing our lives on what Jesus focused his life on. And Jesus focused his life on being a son and revealing the Father and his love so that a world of spiritual orphans could become sons and daughters. The world needs a church that knows that they are sons and daughters. We ain't never going to make it else. Never going to work because it's out of our, the great commandment, the love that God has put in our hearts and shown us that we carry out the great commission. I think God wants to do some business with us this morning. Just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. I'm not quite sure how, how this is going to work, uh, but I want to invite you to make a response. So uh, instead of just doing things out of habit, I want to invite you that if you want to respond in some way to what you feel God's been saying to you this morning, that you just stand with me at this moment. Just, just do, do an action. Get up and stand. If you want to know something more of God's love for you, if you want to know that he's the brother that came to find you, came to open a way back for you you can stand with me if you want some fears this morning to be overwhelmed 
you can stand with me. See what the words that Rob started with actually, which he didn't know I was going to say. I want to remind you, see what kind of love the Father has lavished on us. Lavished. Come on, Spirit of God. Come and lavish your affection on us this morning. Come and pour your love into our hearts. Bring your healing. Bring your wholeness. Bring your freedom. See what kind of love the Father has lavished on us. That we, us of all people, should be called the children of God. And I speak over you in Jesus' name. This is what we are. It's what we are. It's what he's done. He, because we believe in him, has given us the right to become children of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.